Hello all. Our first reading today is in Isaiah chapter 52, verses 13 to chapter 53, verses 12. This can be found in a leaflet in your booklets. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And for what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned the grave of the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my, righteousness, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made the intercession for transgressors. We turn our leaflets. We've got 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now... You have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thanks so much, Matt. And please do keep those Bible readings open in front of you, whether it's in the insert in your leaflet or your Bible, because you brought that along. Before we get into these great bits of Scripture, let's pray. 
Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son, Jesus, the suffering servant, to suffer on our behalf so we don't have to. And that because of that, you can still be just and yet also give us mercy. Father, we pray that we might come and rejoice in that even more this morning as you speak to us again. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what happens when two essential things in life seem incompatible? They're both essential, but on the face of it, they look like they can't go together. So on the one hand, we all know that we need justice, don't we? For people to get what they deserve for the things that they do. There's currently a famine going on in Yemen that is killing 130 children a day. And it's estimated that it's killed at least 85,000 children since it began in 2016. UNICEF has described it as the largest humanitarian crisis in the world and 80% of the population, that's 24 million people, have been estimated as being in dire need of humanitarian assistance. It's no exaggeration to say that this is a country in complete collapse. It is an absolute disaster. But here's the thing, it's a disaster that is completely man-made. It's not because of failing crops. It's because of a civil war that's raging there and a foreign-led aid blockade. If the war stopped and the blockade lifted, then the suffering could end. But the war isn't stopping and people aren't lifting the blockade and so people continue to suffer. All of those children, children like ours, Now, when you hear that, and when you see that kind of news story on the news, doesn't that just make your blood boil? It makes my blood boil. I mean, the injustice of that. And so we want justice for them, don't we? We want the people who are responsible for that suffering to be punished, don't we? We want God to punish them. Because without justice, people getting what they deserve, the world falls apart. We know in our heart of hearts that the world needs justice. But on the other hand, as soon as we say that, we also know that that puts us personally in a problem. Because although we know that although we may not have been personally involved in causing a famine in Yemen, we're also not perfect. And we also do the wrong thing. And that means that if God is perfect, If we ask him to do justice in the world, well, he won't just be able to stop at the big things. He'll have to punish every wrongdoing, including ours. So we're caught in a bind. We want justice, but we also want mercy. There's a great story told about an an ageing film star who sweeps into a hairdresser. She's got a long flowing gown on and she plops herself down in the chair and she says imperiously to the young hairdresser, she says, young man, I hope you shall do me justice. To which the hairdresser mutters, madam, it's not justice you need, but mercy. (laughs) Well, that's us. It's not justice we need, but mercy. And God promises to give it, but how can he? 
How can he be both merciful and just at the same time? I mean, if he gives us what we deserve, he can't be merciful. But if he forgives our sins, doesn't that mean he has to sweep our evil under the carpet? Which would make him unjust? And when you think about it, who wants to serve an unjust God? An unjust God isn't worth worshipping. It's like Groucho Marx once said, I'd never want to join a club that would accept me as a member. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't want to worship a God who would accept me by sweeping my sins under the carpet. How do we resolve it? Justice versus mercy. Is there a way that justice and mercy can kiss? Or do they always have to fight? Well, that's exactly the question that Isaiah answers for us today. You see, all through Isaiah, Isaiah has been saying that Israel have sinned and that God will punish them for it. God will bring justice. But he's also been saying that for a small group of Israel, a remnant who turn back to God and say sorry for their sins, he will forgive them. So Isaiah 55 verse 7, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. God will have mercy. But how can he? Sure, they've said sorry for their sins, but surely that's not enough for them to be forgiven. I mean, just because I say sorry and promise never to steal another car again, surely that doesn't mean I'm all square now for the car I did steal. I mean, there's still been loss and wrongdoing. It's got to be paid for. Who's going to pay for it? That's the question we've still had unanswered at this point in Isaiah. If Israel is going to be forgiven their sin, who's going to pay for it? Well, the answer comes in today's passage and it is the climax of the book. It centres around the mysterious figure, the servant of the Lord, whom we've met already and have been told will save the whole world. But it's only today that we're told how he'll save the whole world. And if we're part of the whole world, this will be important. So let's get into it. The suffering servant. The first thing God tells us about this servant is that he will be amazing but suffer. So far when Isaiah has described the servant, he's described him as an amazing figure. And this time's no exception. So look there at 52 verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Or 52 verse 15. He will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. The servant will be a high and exalted person who will sprinkle the nations. That is, cleanse them of sin. Like the priest did when he sprinkled the blood of his sacrifices over people. And this person will be so amazing that kings will be speechless before him. He'll be an amazing person. But he'll also suffer. He will do these huge things and be exalted before the kings of the earth because of them. But before that happens, we're told he will suffer catastrophically. He'll be badly disfigured. Look at 52.14. Many were appalled at him. His appearance was disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. 
53.2. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. The way Isaiah describes the kinds of things that the servant will do, well, you'd think he'd look like Superman. But actually, he doesn't look anything like that at all. He's disfigured and ugly and deformed. And because of that, people will hate him. Look at 53 verses 3 and 4. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. The people see the servant's wounds and they reject him. Because they assume God must be punishing him for something he's done wrong. The servant suffers. But he's not suffering because he's done anything wrong. He hasn't done anything. Isaiah doesn't deny that it's God punishing him, but it's not because he's done anything wrong. Actually, Isaiah says he's perfect. Look there at verse 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death... Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. The servant hasn't done anything wrong. So why is he being punished? Because God's punishing him for our sin. You see, according to Isaiah, we're the ones who have sinned. We're like sheep who've gone astray. Look at 53 verses 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Now they sound like pretty full on words to describe normal people like us. You know, iniquity, transgressions, even gone astray. You know, when we think about ourselves, we don't think words like those apply to us. We're not that bad. I mean, sure, apply them to a Yemeni warlord, but not me. And of course, it is true that we're not all as bad as each other. But of course, that's not the standard, how we compare to others. It's how we compare to God. And compared to God, I am iniquitous. I have transgressed. I have gone astray. I sin all the time and I only need to think about it for a moment to see that it's true. Many of us here will have a Facebook page, right? And from time to time we update it with the ongoings and the things that we do in our life. Now, if you're anything like me, generally, when you update things on your page, you put a pretty good face towards the world, don't you? You know, I'm not putting too many of the photos up on Facebook which show me with all my double chins, right? I'm not normally getting someone to film me when I really lose my temper or misbehave and then saying, oh, please put that up. I'm really, I just really wish you'd do that. No, our Facebook pages, they are a filtered version of our life, aren't they? Where we get to present our best selves to the world. But I want you to imagine for a moment that your Facebook page suddenly malfunctioned And that right now, even as you sit here, it was able to automatically tap into everything you do 
and automatically transmit it. That someone looking at your Facebook page right now can see everything this week you've thought and done and said. Now, would you like that kind of Facebook page? My guess is you probably wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't. Now, sure, there'd be some good things on there. There'd be plenty of things that you've done this week, even, that you're pretty proud of. You wouldn't mind your followers seeing. And there'd be a lot on that Facebook page that would just, frankly, be boring. But I tell you what, there'd be some things on there you really wouldn't want people to see, would you? Particularly the people you care about. The things that you've thought and done and said. Anger. Lust. Greed petty jealousy, all up there for the world to see. You see, the fact is, whether you're a Yemeni warlord or a rotary president, we've all gone astray in one way or another. And for a just God, he can't ignore that. That's got to have punishment. But that's why the servant suffers, to take that punishment for us. Look at 53 verses 4 and 5. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Or verse 8. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. You see, the servant is suffering... Because he's exchanged our position, or rather his position, for ours. He's taken our place, so we don't have to be there anymore. The Washington Post tells a lovely story, a true story, about place exchange. Violet Allison was just getting settled into her economy seat on an overnight flight from New York to London, when a young man walked up to her and asked her a question. Excuse me, would you like to fly first class? Now, Violet couldn't quite believe what she's heard. You're joking, she said, as she looked up at him in shock. But it turns out he wasn't joking. Jake Littlejohn was a young man who had been gifted a first class seat by a wealthy relative and had sworn that he would give it to someone else as soon as he boarded the flight. And so he repeated his offer. Yeah, I'll give you my seat and you can fly first class. Well, Violet thought about this for a moment, though not for terribly long, and she accepted. And so this young man led this 88-year-old woman up the aisle to first class, carrying her bags as he went, and then went back to her seat in economy next to the toilets, where we're told for the rest of the flight, He didn't make a peep. That's a pretty great exchange, isn't it? Well, that's what the servant does for us. He exchanges his place of glory for our place of shame. And yet we are not a sweet old lady. We're people who've rejected God and hurt him and hurt others. And yet he still does it. And when he does, what does it give us? 
Well, it gives us forgiveness. Look there at 53 verse 5. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. The servant taking God's punishment in our place means that we can have peace with God and healing. Not physical healing, but spiritual healing. Healing from the kinds of wounds that are inflicted by the wrath of God. Healing from the kinds of wounds that the servant takes in our place. It means being justified, being guilty people who are now declared not guilty. It says that there in verse 11. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. And this is what solves the problem. You see, justice is done. Sin is punished. But mercy can be given because sin is punished in the servant's body. Because he suffers for us, justice and mercy can kiss. That's what it gives us. It gives us forgiveness. But it doesn't just result in forgiveness for us. It also results in vindication for the servant. You see, God just won't leave his servant for dead. The servant isn't just some unwitting bypasser who God mugs and then punishes on our behalf. Now, according to Isaiah, he's a willing substitute. He's in on all this from the beginning. He took up our pain. He willingly bore our suffering. He actively poured out his life for us, verse 12. And so God vindicates him. 53 verse 11 to 12. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The servant will suffer, but God will raise him up because he suffered to save us. And so the question Isaiah wants to ask us is, who will trust all of this? 53 verse 1, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Because according to Isaiah, nothing less than our eternal fates depend on this. Will we be punished ourselves for our own sin? Or let the servant take that punishment for us so we can be forgiven? Now, who is this mysterious servant who will take this punishment for us? Well, the New Testament, as we've seen over the last few weeks, makes it as clear as day. It's the man, Jesus of Nazareth. One of Jesus' best friends, Peter, is writing to a group of Christians. As he thinks about his friend Jesus, he realises that everything Isaiah says about the servant maps perfectly onto Jesus' life. As he's thinking about him, he thinks, yeah, Jesus, he was perfect. He helped people and he taught them. And even when he was being crucified, he didn't react in anger or in rage, but in peace. 1 Peter 2 verse 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He was perfect, just like the servant. And of course, as Peter is reading Isaiah, he realizes that Isaiah's diagnosis of us is still perfectly spot on. We are like sheep going astray, 1 Peter 2 verse 25. Isaiah's words to describe the human condition can't be bettered. We have fallen into sin and deserve to be punished by God. And yet we don't have to be because Jesus has died for us. 
1 Peter 2 verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. When Jesus died, he died as the servant who came to take our sins on himself. And because of that, just like Isaiah said, we can be forgiven. Verse 25, you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. What does this mean? Jesus is the servant. And Jesus dies for us as the servant to bring us back and look after us for forever. So finally, what does this say to us? Well, I think it says at least two things, two really great things. The first thing it says is great news for you. If you are feeling guilty for the wrong things you've done. Because what this means is that Jesus offers you a better kind of justice than anyone else can because it's a justice that still leaves room for mercy for you. You see, the world will never give you that kind of justice. Its, mer- its justice is merciless. I mean, you only need to look at the rise of so-called cancel culture, don't you? You know what cancel culture is? Cancel culture is when someone, generally a famous person, they do something wrong, it's genuinely wrong, but then we attempt to blot them out of existence. We pull down their movies from Netflix. We burn or pulp their books. We say, you're no longer welcome in society. It's an attempt to effectively try and blot that person out of existence. Now, on the one hand, you can kind of actually understand where that impulse comes from, can't we? Because these people have done terrible things. And often, especially for powerful people, those things have been swept under the carpet in the past. And those people let off the hook. And so cancel culture is just an attempt to correct that injustice and to hold people to account. It's a good thing in that sense. But on the other hand, that kind of extreme justice leaves no room for mercy, does it? It's an impulse that says, once you've done the wrong thing, there's no more room for you here. For us, the good people to stay pure, we've got to cut you off, unfriend you. And you may not be famous, but maybe something like that has happened to you. You know, you've said something stupid on social media. I mean, not that anyone ever says anything stupid on social media. You know, you've said something dumb on social media and so you get unfriended. Maybe it's been much more serious. You've done something and your family have cut you off. Or your friend has now stopped being your friend. Now, you admit that you did the wrong thing and you are really sorry about it, but does the price have to be that high? Does justice really demand that, you think? And yet it does, doesn't it? Because you've done the wrong thing. And for life to stay fair, how can people or God forgive that sin without also ignoring it? What's the alternative? Well, Jesus is the alternative. You see, God says that justice does need to be done when you do the wrong thing. There is a sense in in which in the face of a holy God, you do need to be cancelled. Psalm 34, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their names from the earth. But the great news of Jesus 
is that he's willingly been cancelled in your place. He himself bore our sins on his body on the cross. And because of that, he can answer and offer mercy. The point is, if you're feeling guilty, no matter what you've done wrong, God can forgive you because of Jesus. Just think about that for a moment. Everything you feel guilty about, all the people you've hurt, all the lies you've told, all the things you've done with your body, all the things you wish you'd never said, they can be forgiven because of Jesus. You're no longer defined by them. You're no longer just the sum of all the worst things you've ever done. You can have peace and mercy and your wounds healed and it still be fair because Jesus took all of that on the cross for you. And that's an offer no one else in the world can make for you because no one else died for you. Do you want that? It's great news for people feeling guilty, isn't it? But it's also great news for those of us who have been hurt by others. Because Jesus also offers a better kind of mercy than anyone else does because it doesn't ignore justice. You see, sometimes when we're wronged by people, we're told just to forgive them, aren't we? But of course, it's not as simple as that. Because for us to really forgive someone, we need to know that their actions will still be held accountable, that justice will be done. Because if they're not, it's like what they did to us means nothing. They've just got off scot-free. And that seems wrong. How can mercy like that still be fair and hence right? Well, this is where Jesus helps us again. You see, Jesus does tell you to forgive people. He tells me. But it's always with the promise that whatever that person did to us will still be punished. If that person's a believer and has asked God for mercy, their sin has already been punished on the cross. If they're not a believer and they never end up asking for God's mercy, they will pay for that sin themselves when they die. But either way, their sin will still be held to account. And that means we can let go of the things that hurt us in a way that we otherwise couldn't. When you see Jesus do that on the cross, don't you? When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. But it wasn't because what was happening to him wasn't wrong. But because, 1 Peter 2, 23, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He knew that God would punish their sins. Either in his body, if they later came to ask him for mercy. Or in their own bodies, if he didn't. So he didn't have to take up that great burden of making himself responsible for justice being done in the world, making sure each and every wrong against him was righted. He could leave that to God who judges justly and as much as it was up to him, offered a mercy to those who had wronged him while still not once denying that they'd done the wrong thing. And you can too. Doesn't mean you can always be reconciled to people who've done you the wrong thing. You can only be reconciled if they say sorry. And there are some people we might not, we shouldn't be reconciled to because to be reconciled to them might make us unsafe. 
But we can always still offer mercy, have a forgiving spirit, knowing that their sins will always be held accountable for. And what a freedom that gives us from a feeling of being cheated or the need for revenge. So will you believe this? Who has believed our message? Because if you do, you've just seen how God saves the world. The arm of the Lord has been revealed to you. Justice is done. Mercy is given. And all in the suffering of his servant, Jesus. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't give us what we deserve if we've put our trust in Jesus. You give Jesus what we deserve. We get mercy. Father, that is great news for people like us who feel guilty. And yet, Father, we thank you that in doing that, you don't sweep our sin under the carpet. You're still a God who deserves our worship. You are totally fair because justice is done in him. Father, we pray for those of us who are crushed by guilt. Help us find a forgiveness that no one else in this world can offer us. And Father, if we've been wronged, help us to have a forgiving spirit towards others like Jesus because we know that come what may, that sin will always be punished, either by the people themselves or in Jesus' body. Father, we thank you that justice and mercy need not fight, but kissed on the cross. And Father, thank you for the cross. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.